It's a. Uh, it's something that'll change the world and human life as we know it. He knows. He's seen the light. When Monty talks, it's painful. <laughs> Monty, you have been so instrumental in uh, kind of pointing me in the right direction. <laughs> it was about um, looking at your character defects and spirituality. Uh, it, it's the integration of clinical practices with uh, the 12 steps. It's an absolute pleasure. He certainly knows a lot of people. Uh, he's got a lot of energy. And sometimes when you don't have so much energy, he picks you up and carries and you. the Monty man there certainly helps. This is one of the places that is about the business of the solution. Views expressed on this special broadcast of the Take 12 radio show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's that guy who's getting less popular minute by minute, your host, The Multiman. Well, greetings one and all, and welcome to a very special edition of the Take 12 Recovery radio show. Now this show... Uh, was inspired, uh, quite frankly, from a text that I got from our friend, Mr. Ken Seeley, uh, who you may recognize that name as part of A&E's television show, Intervention. Also, Ken is, uh, is part of Intervention 911. Now, I want to give you the website address, intervention911.com. Uh, if you want to learn about intervention, if you want to learn about intervention training, if you need an intervention uh, and you have questions about what that's all about, please visit Intervention 911. Now, this show today, uh, I've taken a segment because Ken asked me to if I could locate the interview I did with him back in 2013 at the Evolution of Addiction Treatment Conference at the Weston Hotel and Convention Center in Los Angeles. We were there on location. And I was able to locate this interview. It took some digging, but I was able to pull it out. And I wanted to share it with you, along with sharing it with him. Um, this interview that we had with Ken, it, it, it's uh, it's very informative and very interesting. Uh, of course, I spew some of my opinions out there as we kind of unpack uh, the topics that we were talking about at that conference. So without further ado, uh, let's join the discussion between myself and Mr. Ken Seeley. And then when we're done with that piece, we'll come back and we've got some great recovery music for you. So check it out. Here we go. And uh, sitting right across from me right now is Ken Seeley. Now, uh, many of you who listen to the show uh, would probably recognize that name from A&E's intervention. Uh, Ken's working uh, really hard with the Intervention 911, which is something that you developed, right, Ken? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, we just got out of your workshop and you talked about motivators. Uh, things that motivate people to stay clean and sober. Now, I got a question about that. Um, in in the twelve step um, model, yep, it is highly suggested that we are powerless over um, our addictions or alcoholism, whatever it is, yep. food, whatever that we're powerless over it. And that would say to me that if you're powerless and I'm powerless, zero plus zero is zero. Yep. And so what I need is a power greater than myself. Um, but there are things we can do that can empower us. Mm. 
And it sounds like a contradiction, but it really, really isn't, right? I mean, you were talking about motivators, okay? Because in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says wife or no wife, job or no job. Yep. You know, it's not an excuse for going back out and, and drinking. Exactly. Okay. So how do motivators play into this thing? Well, I think anybody that comes into the program, mm-hmm. there's something that motivated them to get them in the front door. Mm-hmm. So every single person is different. So my job is to figure out what that is. What is the motivator? Mm -hmm. What's going to get them into treatment? And then what's going to keep them in recovery after they're in treatment? Which is really the key. It's the hardest thing to do. Because because a lot of our crazy decision-making, the the opportunity to make those decisions come to us when we're stone cold sober. Mm. And, And we're not thinking right. Yep. You know, people say, well, as long as I don't drink or drug, I'm fine. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> as we all know, that's what the big book teaches us. It's our behaviors that get us to drink. It's what we do, our actions. Mm-hmm. So we got to change our behaviors. You can't just stay and not drink. you got to change your behaviors and the way we think. That's mm-hmm. why I always bring things to my sponsor. You know, my, right, way, my right. brain don't process things correctly. So I need to bring it to somebody that has an outside view on what my thoughts are. And that's just part of what I have. You know, that's why, you know, I love the program because it really helps see things differently than the way I process my mm-hmm. reality. And yet I'm able to help people that I sponsor and help them perceive, see their reality in a different light. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there is today in today's uh, 12 steps fellowships mm-hmm that there is a difference between the program and the fellowship and that it's been kind of thwarted somewhat. Do you see that where you live? Where the program and the fellowship is? What, yeah, yeah. because when I, where I'm from in Oregon, it, it, it's, it's like if you, if you go into a meeting and you sit there and all you do is listen to what people say mm-hmm. and then you open up the the literature you would swear you were in two separate <laughs> places you know and it's like wait a minute that's not what, what I, not what i'm hearing because if i could go to 90 meetings in 90 days don't drink in between meetings put the plug in the jug sit down and shut up you don't have anything to share kind of thing yeah i would have done that yep but I, but i couldn't Still do the that. work and what i think and see what you think about this i think there is a lot of heavy drinkers and um users that maybe are not really alcoholic or addict, but they just need to grow up mm-hmm. and they really don't have the disease. Mm-hmm. And so for them to just show up at a meeting and never do any of the work, it works for them. Correct. But for those of us who are of the hopeless variety, meetings aren't going to cut it. No. Right? I mean, it's, it's, not, it's about changing the behavior is how you get into recovery. I mean, even with, you know, like I said, I, I, July I'll have 30 or 23 years, or 24 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm 23, 1989. I got sober, and I just went to a professional enhancement program right. in Mississippi for 11 weeks. It's because of my mind doesn't interpret things the way other people's do in order to see things clearly. I need to do personal work right. for my recovery. Right. So working the big book, Getting, you know, therapy, dealing with things that whatever's going on in anyone's life, we, we have to use the tools that are necessary. 
in order to get a better life. And I think that's really, for me, what defines an addict versus a normie. You know, a normie doesn't have to go through all those things. They don't pick up a drink or a drug or mm -hmm. anything, like you said, mm -hmm. food or whatever. Mm -hmm. They don't pick up a substance or something outside of themselves to make them feel differently internally. Yeah, right, right. And I do that. I do it. I, I have love addiction. I have sex addiction. I have codependency. I have drug addiction, alcoholism. I have all of them. I was, you know, when I was there in Mississippi, I was crying and yelling at God. What the F is wrong with you? Why am I the one with all of these addictions? Was it, couldn't one of them be bad, good enough? It's not fair. That's a lot of 12 step programs, Ooh, man. It is a lot of time. I don't know how I have time to work. Um, in your line of work as an interventionist, I mean, obviously not everybody can do that. I mean, I think it would just rip my guts out, you know, because I watch the A&E shows, you know, and Marsha and I would watch, and that's where we first met you, and I mean, you sit we're sitting there crying, and then we see the after report. And we're like, oh, no, you're serious, you know, where the person, eh, they went back out, you know. Sometimes it was really good news. They're doing this and they're accomplishing this mm -hmm. and that. But um, I think when I talked to you uh, before, you said even the camera crews would be in tears. When they, because it's a long, drawn out, way more than an hour television show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's hours and hours, hours. right? So how does, how does that affect you? I mean, you, you, did, you, did you go home sometimes just shaking your head thinking, what am I doing this for? No, I, I, think, I, I think it's a gift from God yeah. where I don't take it home with me. Um, but when I'm in the moment and I'm there with the families, yeah. I really, I mean, it, it's, a, it's like a punch in the gut and your heart just, you know, bleeds for them. The pain that the, and the suffering that they go through mm -hmm. and to work with them to hopefully give them a little bit of peace um, is is an amazing you know I, I'm, I, I feel so lucky and fortunate that I get to do that but yet I could go home and for some reason I don't know why I could leave it at work and Good I think you. that's a gift because yeah. it is really painful I mean I I've they've had episodes where they showed me crying i mean yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tears are coming down your face and you know <laughs> and and you're you know you're trying to do just wipe it gently and mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah you know like just wipe your eye like you got an eyelash in your eye or something wow. but you know the reality is is you know i don't know how anybody could sit through that pain without having some form of an emotion around it um and really affect them but again the gift is being able to leave it at work and not bring it home. Do, do you find that many times the family is much sicker than the addict? You know, in, in my opinion, I believe that a lot of, I would say 90% of the ones that you see, you know, that don't make it, right. the family had a part in enabling yeah. and not doing what was recommended, I guess is the nicest way to put it. You know, there was probably recommendations. But I'm that his were made. mother. I couldn't kick him out. I'm his mother. Great. And yeah. as we're watching them continue to die, and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just giving them 50 bucks for this. And, you know, really they're running down to the dealer getting their fix in all reality. And they just, they've been manipulated again. The, kid, the addicts are great manipulators. Right. 
right? Well, you know, this, this powerlessness thing, I, I experienced, I thought I knew what powerlessness was um, after being in a 12-step fellowship for 25 years plus. I really thought I did until I had both hips operated on. Mm. And I had to go on heavy opiate pain medication. That's a dirty, dirty drug. I'm telling you. And the powerlessness that was there from the withdrawal was incredible. I've never had a hangover that was that bad. You know? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that is a really big issue right now uh, in, our, in our country, in the world. Um, in Florida, I know they have, in certain places, there's these, these drop-in, you know, get your, fill out a little form, get your... Yep. Um, Vicodin or whatever pain thing. Yep. Just walk in, get it. Pain clinics everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is epidemic. It, it, it's like when I was in high school, we had speed kills, right, and, and all that kind of thing. And now it's pills. Yep. J- just rampant. Uh, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah. we're doing a training this weekend in Palm Springs, and we have about forty people there at the training to be interventionists, mm-hmm. and five of them are coming over from the UK. And they're still experiencing the same thing. The opiates are just killing people every single day. Yeah. The abuse the, the so that is going on right now. And, and the scary part about that, and I think this is why it kills them, is like I talked about earlier, is because you don't even get into the place of addiction. You know, you're experimenting. You're, you're not, in, not even maybe into abuse. Sure. And, and this is really something you're really focusing on now is long-term uh, management uh, monitoring, you know, I, I know that that for instance, especially with the meth ep- epidemic, that we have dopamine levels, and correct me if I'm wrong, that are off the charts, mm-hmm. and the human brain was never meant to yep. experience that much pleasure, and so you have uh, it, it going so fast in in the brain, the body doesn't have enough time to uh, make its own dopamine back again, mm-hmm. and so y- it can take a couple of years. The whole start that whole process, and in 30 days, people are asking, clinicians are asking, you know, well, how do you feel about this, and how do you feel? Well, I'm depressed because I don't have any dopamine. I, I can't eat and feel pleasure. I can't smoke a cigarette and feel pleasure. I can't read and feel pleasure. Yep. And in 30 days, how in the heck are you even gonna even scratch the surface? And then ask them what they want or what they need. Right. <laughs> they don't even know yet. That's the part that kills me. Yeah, take what you need and leave the rest. I yeah. didn't know what I needed. Don't tell me that. You're killing me. So I need guidance. I need support. Right. I need, you know, direction. So when it comes to somebody who's active, an active addict, and there's been an intervention, mm-hmm. and they've agreed to, we'll go with the ideal deal uh, analogy here, they've agreed to go into treatment, and then you spring it on them that this is going to be a long-term thing. That's spooky, isn't it? Well, it's interesting that you say that because I work with families and with young adults, I always say a year. If you're, you know, 13 until 24, 25, Mm -hmm. I say a year. You need a year treatment. And um, when I go in and I do an intervention on somebody like that, the family's like, you can't say a year. Are you kidding me? A year? You can't wow. say that. They're not going to go for a year. I said, well, how do you know that? We didn't ask. Hello, let's ask first. And they're shocked when we go in there and say, we need you to give us a year. They're like, okay. If the consequences are consistent and they stay, they, they, I've never had one not say yes. 
they all because they don't know what the protocol is. Mm-hmm. So if you say a year and five years of random testing from the minute that they they learn what treatment and recovery is, they'll say yes. They'll say yes because they don't know. It's only the, the the people working in the trenches that say, oh, 30 days should be enough, you know, and then we'll reevaluate. you got to go right in for the get-go. That yeah. This is a five-year plan, and when they kick and scream, say, that's okay, you don't have to, but you need to figure out what that motivator is and start working from there after they say no to the five-year plan. Because why are you going to work so hard to create a motivator if it's only for 30 days or to get them in treatment? What yeah, are we doing? That's yeah, not fair. Yeah, yeah. We're going to create this consequence that's going to get them into treatment. And that's when years ago, that's all I used to do for interventions that I get them in and then get the call from the family. They're using again. They finished treatment and they came home and they're using. What do we do? What do we do? I, I realized I was dropping the ball. I wasn't telling them that it's a five-year plan. And even people that you tell, my experience has been is exactly what you said earlier. My experience has been where they say, okay, okay, let's do it for five years. But within 30, 60, 90 days, they start looking better. They're like, they're not that bad. We don't need to keep them motivated. We don't need that bottom line. You know, they're acting, they're acting just like the addicts act. They don't need to I feel test. Better. I'm okay. Yeah. They don't need to test. What are you kidding? They, they told me they're sober. They told me they're sober. <laughs> are you kidding me? That's a person that was robbing you 30 days ago. <laughs> they told you they're sober. How many times have you heard they're sober? Right, right. So. And again, okay, so they're sober, but their thinking is still way oh, out of God. whack. Cold stone sober. They haven't worked the program. No, they don't even know what the program is yet. In thirty days, one of the things <laughs> one of the things that cracks me up no. in some meetings is that think, think, think sign. And in some meetings back east, they have it upside down. In our audio booth, we have it upside down because that came out of IBM. Yeah, you know, and the volunteer at the World Service Office, and he worked for IBM. And he stuffed in envelopes and GSRs and meetings. And they go, oh, that's clever. Think, 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 and that's solving the problem with the problem. Yeah, you know, because our thinking yep. is messed up. Oh. You know. Think, 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 and run, it should say. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. Uh, a short interview with Mr. Ken Seeley, uh, taken from the interview that we did with him at the 2013 Evolution of Addiction Treatment Conference uh, in Los Angeles. Now, uh, listen, to visit the website, please go to intervention911.com. If you'd like to uh, find information about interventions, if you'd like to uh, find information about training, um, all, all that kind of great stuff. Listen, we, we're, living in, uh, we're living in a time in our world when the epidemic of drug addiction is, is so rampant. It's beyond your, even your imagination. And we need people to step up to the plate, to be trained, to be certified, to be able to uh, speak into people's life the truth that is recovery, the hope that is recovery. And you can start out by getting a lot of great information by visiting intervention911.com. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I've got some phenomenal recovery music for you. We're going to feature three songs, and that'll be our show for this week. So don't go away. Check this out. Hey, check it out. The best in recovery talk and positive music radio is now available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and Podomatic. Simply visit any of these platforms and search for Take 12 Recovery Radio. 
Listen and download hundreds of our shows for fun and for free. Also available at Take12Radio.com. This is Chris Schroeder. You are listening to Take12Radio.com. Recovery talk and positive music. Yes, indeedy. Let's usher us right into some great recovery music by three phenomenal recovery recording artists. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. By the way, still the world's only faith-based recovery talk and positive music radio station broadcasting to you and for you from the beautiful outskirts of downtown Albany, Oregon at KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. Please do not forget to visit our main website, at Take12Radio.com for archives of all of our shows. As promised, three of the most amazing recovery recording artists on the circuit today, starting with the amazing music of Mr. Mike Zito. He may be one of the most landed artists in the contemporary blues arena today, and rightfully so, but for Mike Zito, the thing that counts the most is maintaining his honesty, authenticity, and integrity. Those are the qualities that have steered our friend Zito's career since the beginning and continue to define every effort he offers since. He says, I have nothing to hide. It seems my honesty is what people relate to the most. He once told Vintage Guitar Magazine that he was told early on, if you don't believe in what you're singing, you'll never be a good singer. He tries not to write fluff. He says, I try to make every word count. You can visit his website and get more of his music at MikeZito.com. So without further ado, here's Mike singing his song, Just for today. I'll take my time about growing older. I try to live like I'm getting younger. All my friends say that life is colder. I just smiling off of my shoulder. My life is simple, for that I'm grateful. With all my blessings, I can't be hateful. This world is heaven, with you beside me. My eyes are open toward my family. I know that life is gonna bring some pain. But with some help from above, well, I know it's gonna be okay just for today I know the feeling of always falling the lost confusion of endless crawling and when I woke up among the living I became bound to love and forgive him I know that life is gonna bring some pain But with some help from above Know it's gonna be okay Just for today
Well, he's a longtime friend of Aerosmith. He has made a number of musical contributions to the band and has offered moral support. He temporarily replaced Joe Perry when he left the band in 1979 until a replacement was found. And additionally, he helped co-write several songs, including the hits Chip Away the Stone, Lightning Strikes, Amazing, and Pink, amongst others. Well, Richie Supa co-wrote most of the songs on Bon Jovi guitarist Richie Sempura's second solo album, Undiscovered Soul. For more of Richie's great music, please visit their website at recoveryunplugged.com. Here's Richie with his song, Last House on the Block. Well, I picked up some bad habits And they kept me running hard I went against my better judgment I even turned my back on God On the streets I met my demons And they dragged me down the drain With another shot of something Just to get me past the pain Yeah, the door is always open When the devil needs a fix So you burn another 50 you ain't got And you drift into the darkness Till your dreams have all been crushed You're in so deep There's no way you can stop Welcome, yeah, welcome to the last house on the block. 
the nail in his coffin In some roach infested room Where he thought he found the answers With a needle and a spoon Yeah, the door is always open When the devil needs a fix So you shove another 50 through the slot And you drift into the darkness Till your dreams have all been crushed In a junkie's world, it's all you really got Welcome, yeah, welcome to the last house on the block And it's hell disguised as heaven Where the angels fear to go It's a place all too familiar Sonia Lee shares her music and recovery experiences with audiences at festivals, fundraisers, alumni events, private parties, corporate events, churches, retreats, <sighs> treatment centers, recovery conferences, restaurants, bars, listening rooms, house concerts, radio and TV, and also right here at Take 12 Recovery Radio. Our friend Sonia Lee is an amazing recovery recording artist. And for more of her music, visit her website, at sonyalee.net. Here's Sonia to close out our show with her song, On the Other Side. I used to hate my pain Avoid the feelings like a winter rain I'd run away Hiding the hurt With a drink Or an angry word Until the day I could not deny The healing causing From deep inside It was a love That was here to mend Broken heart could be my friend on the other side. 
it up for another fine episode of the take 12 recovery radio show a special thanks to every one of our recovery recording artists for lending their experience their strength their hope through their music to the platform of take 12 recovery radio a very special thank you to mr ken seeley the founder of intervention 911 and a huge contributor to the world of intervention and helping to save lives. Don't forget to check out A&E's television show, Intervention, and follow them as well. Listen until our next broadcast. This is the Monty Man, along with the Take 12 Recovery Radio family, and we are wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. Kitty, 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 kitty.